Uh, go ahead and grab your Bible if you have it. Uh, we are going to be in the um, book of Ephesians this morning, and uh, we are continuing in our series uh, called Preparing, um, or rather, uh, Devoted to Prayer. And, um, and we want to look at uh, what we are called to as a church as it relates to prayer. So uh, of all the things, right, that we could talk about in church this morning, that we could open our Bibles to look at, prayer is a pretty churchy thing to do. But let me tell you, it is so necessary for us today. I said last week that the church has been called to devote themselves to prayer, that is, to give themselves uh, fully to it, to have it as a central and core piece of of who we are, and we see this modeled uh, in the early church from the very beginning. Uh, By way of sort of setting it up for us this morning, I just kind of want to review how the church began. And so in Acts, we read the story of the early days of the church. And in Acts 1, uh, after Jesus returned, they, they watched Jesus go up into the skies. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of called Olivet, which is in, near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they went, they entered and went to the upper room where they were staying. And Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So here you have, before the church actually even officially sort of began, right? Before before the church is really a thing and what it is today, you see the followers of Jesus, both men and women that have been following around Jesus, they devoted themselves to prayer. It was the first thing that they committed themselves to in that room. And it was through those prayers, for weeks of prayers, that the day of Pentecost came. And that is what we call it today, but it's the day when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. He lit the, the church on fire, and, 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 and things were happening in ways that they had never seen before, and God was moving in a, in a new and a fresh way. And what happens is Peter stands up, preaches to the city, and 3,000 people put their faith and trust in Jesus. They declare him as their Messiah, And they were saved and added to the number of disciples that day. And the church continued to do that. Acts 2 says that, So those who received his word were baptized. They were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. So here you have, from the very beginning, before the church even began, devoted to the prayers, the church is like going and they're devoting themselves to this fellowship, the breaking of bread, to the teaching, but also to the prayers. And then disciples continued to increase in number. And uh, some of the ministry balls, so to speak, were getting dropped. And the 12 apostles that were leading uh, the church at the time uh, looked around and they're like, we can't keep all these things in the air. We can't keep doing all these things. It's going to take us away from the things that we need to be a part of. And so they appointed others to oversee parts of the ministry. And in Acts 6, it says, therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And there you have it, the church, these two uh, foundational pillars, these two hallmarks, the, 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 the two things that the, that the apostles knew that they could not let go were the preaching of God's word and the prayers. And that is, so it is for the entire church. We are called to be committed to the teaching of God's word and to the prayers. These aren't the only things that we are about, but these are part and parcel. These are central to who we are as the church, as the people of God. Now, I think it's no uh, wonder or surprise to look around and say we are certainly committed to the teaching of God's word. Right? Um, we just spent the entire morning worshiping God uh, through song. Uh, not singing scripture, but songs certainly uh, that were informed and led and, 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 and you know, come from scriptural, biblical truths. But now we're turning our attention and for the rest of our service, we're going to look at God's word together. This is the teaching of God's word. I wonder though, do we see in the church today, not just in our church, but in the church, do we see the same prominence given to the prayers? Would we put the two things, like two legs to walk are both the right and the left leg working as they should. If I'm honest and I look at our church, I look at the church, we don't put the same prominence on that, certainly in our services. I mean, uh, what, what I hope we never communicate 
is that prayer would just be a transitional element. Prayer is part of our service, and we need to do, uh, we want to be intentional about the way that we place and the way that we pray. I mean, this is, it's not just something that's between things. It is the thing. We want to pray through our services, but not just as we gather here on Sundays, but in the same way that we give ourselves to the word throughout the week. We want to give ourselves to the prayers throughout the week as well. And we see that the church, they did this. It says, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Many of the priests became obedient to the faith. They saw God answering their prayers. And this then continued on as the church began to spread. The church went out, the gospel went out and the church was built in many, many cities and Paul writing to the cities and other leaders writing to these cities continued this call to prayer. When writing to the church in Colossae, Paul said in Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer. That's what we looked at last week. This call and the, the word used in some of your translations say, devote yourselves to prayer. When writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul said, praying at all times in the spirit, this call to pray always. When writing to the church in Rome, he said, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer the church in Thessalonica, he said, hey, pray without ceasing. I added the hey. Corinth, he said, you must also help us by prayer. And then writing to the church in Philippi, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul writing to Timothy, that young pastor, he said, I desire that in every place the men should pray. And James, writing to the dispersed Christians, he said, pray for one another. And we could go on. There are so many examples of this call for the church to pray. And if we're honest, if we, uh, you know, nobody, I think, is surprised to hear that this morning, right? I don't think any of us would say that the prayer is, is, is something that's unimportant in the church. But then when we look at our knowledge of prayer and how much we pray and the importance and the prominence that we give ourselves to, I really question, are we devoted to prayer in the same way that the early church was. They understood and they knew the purpose and the place that prayer held in the church. Do we still have that same passion today? You know, there was an um, evangelist, preacher, pastor, uh, years, a uh, long time, or a couple hundred years ago, D.L. Moody, uh, in the early 1800s, um, wasn't sure about this uh, in, in the churches that he was in, but he was making a visit to Scotland, as the story goes, and he was um, opening uh, one of his talks at a local grade school, so just a normal school in, the, in Scotland, and he sort of asked this rhetorical question knowing his own kind of experience and what the church had, had sort of experienced in prayer. And he just said, hey, what is prayer? And he was surprised because hundreds of hands in the room shot up. And so to his amazement, he was like, wow, uh, I guess I should find out what they all think prayer is. And so he called on um, a, a, a boy in the front and he promptly stood up and he said this. He said, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of his spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. What a great answer. This answer, in case you don't know, is, is answer, answer to the question number 78 in the Westminster Catechism. To this, Moody responded and said, uh, be thankful, son, that you were born in Scotland. Right? Like that's, you know this. This is good truth to be able to know. And I wonder how many of us could give such a succinct helpful, inclusive answer of all that prayer is and all that prayer contains for the church. See, that's my fear for us. But more than that, let me just be clear about something. That's first my fear for me. I said this last week. I want to repeat this again. But this series, first and foremost, is for me. Listen, I hope and trust that you are blessed through this, that your prayers are built up, that you are encouraged to pray, that you have a greater understanding of the power of prayer and how to pray and all of that. I hope that for all of you. But I just have to be honest, I want that for me. I want to grow in my prayer. You see, God has convicted me this summer especially, but just seeing 
At times, the shallowness of my own prayer or the inconsistency in my prayer, my lack of dependence on prayer, it is so easy to fall into a pattern of uh, over-dependency uh, on myself, lack of dependency on God and overconfidence in my ability, a lack of confidence in God's ability. And I find myself in a place where things are comfortable and I stop praying with the same dependency that I once did. See, we can all probably relate to that in times of need or in times of difficulty, in times of trial, we are quick to pray. When things seemingly are going well, our prayers sometimes reside. See, I hope for, our, uh, for myself that I grow in this, but I do, I hope for our church that we would embody what we are calling this series, this devoted to prayer. And to be clear, I wanna seek for us as a church to grow both in the way that we pray alone, like as individuals on our own, and the way that we pray together as a church in community, both are necessary. If you missed it last week, I would encourage you to go back and to listen to last week's message or watch it. You can find it on podcasts, on our websites, you can go to YouTube. But last week, we sort of began with the how of prayer. Because what I wanted to do is make sure that we had some tools as we walk through this series that as we come to and you feel more encouraged to pray or motivated to pray or you understand the power of prayer that you would have something to go to to be able to pray. If that's something that you've never really done before, that's a helpful place to start. If it's something that you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you feel like, man, I've got prayer down, I would encourage you to still go back and look at it because it helps us ask the question is, do I? Am I praying in all the ways that God has asked me to and called me to and taking advantage of all the tools that he has given me? One of those tools for our church is that we would pray both on our own and with each other. But here's the thing that I'm worried about for us. I'm worried about that we get to the place or that we move toward a place where there is prayerlessness in our lives and prayerlessness in our church. And here's why that concerns me. Uh, Daniel Henderson, I think, says it well. He says, prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. If our lives are lacking prayer, what we are saying to God is we don't really need you that much. We are declaring to God that we are okay going it on our own. And I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to get to that place. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for our church. And so I want to return to this important topic, return to this important discipline. Think about this heavily because, again, we want to be devoted to the preaching of God's word and to the prayers. These aren't the only two things that we're called to do, but these are central to who we are. It's one of our pillars as a church, and so we want to grow in that. So for the next few weeks, this month, we're taking, setting aside, focusing on prayer. My hope is, is that that will then ripple through our entire year ahead, that this would be a year where we are returning to the Lord and praying more consistently and praying more fervently and trusting God in prayer in new ways, because this is a gift for us today. And so that's where we are going. We want to look at it. We're going to start here in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 14 through 21. We're calling today, I want to call today, um, preparing to pray. So as we begin and we kind of return to this idea of prayer and, and try and ramp up our commitment to prayer in our life, that we would prepare our hearts, that we'd be ready to respond and to seek God in this way. There's some things that we're going to see in, God, in, in, in uh, Paul's prayer to God here in this passage that I think are gonna be helpful for us as we prepare to pray in our own lives and in our church here. Let me read the passage together and then um, we're gonna pray and walk our way uh, through it. It says this, Ephesians 3, chapter, um, or, sorry, chapter 3, verse 14, which by the way, if you don't have a Bible, I always like to say this, I'd love for you to see it for yourself and so you'll find a Bible underneath one of the seats. Um, feel free to use that. If you don't own a Bible, take that home. Um, if you um, need something with bigger font, let us know because that's, it's pretty small, so that's not gonna be helpful for you. But if that's a helpful to, tool for you, take it, use it. Um, we, I'd love for everyone to see it this morning. We are in Ephesians chapter three, beginning in verse 14. Let me read God's word. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me just pray for our time in God's word together. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we are so grateful for the gift that you have given us, that you have given your church to be able to approach you, the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God of the Bible. God, we can approach you and we can talk to you and you hear and respond to our prayers. What a gift that is. Lord, I pray that you would increase our devotion to prayer, that you would help us see, Lord, what an amazing opportunity we have before us. God, what a help and a strength and the source of power that prayer is. Lord, I pray for our church that you would just continue to shape us as we look at this, as we learn from your word. God, I ask that you would teach us this morning and show us what it is that we need to respond to, God, what you're trying to grow in us, God, that we'd be quick to respond and quick to hear what it is you have for us this morning. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus, according to the power of your spirit, amen. All right, well, let's walk our way through this. This is a prayer that Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, and I think what we can see is we're going to see four things that he had, that he had some understandings that Paul had that informed his prayer. And this would help us as we prepare uh, to engage in prayer in a new way. Uh, the first thing we see is this. Uh, write this down. Would we seek the face of God before the hand of God? Would we seek the face of God before the hand of God? Let me read the first two verses again. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Listen, if you hear one thing today, if you walk away with one truth from this time in God's word today, would it be this, that you would seek the face of God before the hand of God? I can't claim that language all my own. Uh, Daniel uh, Henderson, who I quoted earlier, has some helpful resources, and that's sort of the way that he's phrased it. I really like the way that that's put. And why that's helpful for us is I think so many times we approach God with our needs, and we have what we could call need-based prayers. We have lists and, and uh, requests and all of that, which are all good, right? I talked about the value of lists last week, but... If that's the only thing that we're after, if we're always just looking for the hand of God and we fail to look for the face of God, we are missing out on what prayer is. Let me show it to you in God's word here. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. We need to kind of unpack this. We're jumping in halfway through a letter. There's been some things that he's already unpacked for the church, and so let's make sure we understand. If you go back to verse one of chapter three, he has the same phrase, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. This is actually where he started to say what he's about to say in verse 14 and 15. But as Paul often does, he gets a little sidetracked with some like theological truth he wants to drop on the Ephesians. So he has this aside. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Like he kind of makes this thing. And some of you, you have that friend that is always kind of running down rabbit trails, right? And you're like, and they're like, what were you talking about? You know, you gotta bring them back. Or sometimes the rabbit trail has a rabbit trail and there's like, you know, you get so far down. So that's sort of where Paul is at here. I only wish that my rabbit trails were as helpful as Paul's. Uh, some of the theological content that he has in his asides are fantastic. Obviously, uh, they're, they're in, <laughs> inspired by the Holy Spirit, and now we have them here as Scripture. But what he's referring to back in uh, verse 1 and now again in verse 14 is what he's been unfolding, unpacking in chapter 2. And let me give you the cliff notes. In verse four, so it says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Paul is recounting to the church the work that God has done, the work that 
that the God the Father has done in their hearts through the work of Jesus Christ. They were dead in their sins, separated from God. This is the place that all of us find ourselves in. We are born into this. We confirm it by our own actions. We are separated from God by sin, dead in our trespasses. But he's recounting the good news of the gospel, and that is this, that Jesus Christ came and made a way, purchased our life through his death and through his resurrection, and he has made the church alive together with him, and he has saved them. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that is available to all of us today that we have but to believe in Jesus' finished and accomplished work and that we too would be saved and made alive together with Christ. But more than that, as he goes on through the chapter and kind of toward the end, he says, listen, you're no longer sort of outcasts in the family of God. You're not strangers, you're not aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See, he's writing to a Gentile audience And he's telling them that you have been brought in to the family of God. He's like, God, by saving you and by making you alive, has now adopted you into his family. And so you now have access to all of the benefits, all of the blessings, all of the... Everything that comes along with being a part of the family of God, you have now been made access to because he has brought you into his family. That's where he gets to with verse 14. He says, for this reason, right? Because God has saved you and he's brought you into his family. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. See, Paul here, he says, I bow my knees. He bends his knees. He, He gets low before the Lord. Sometimes it is so good for us to think about the posture with which we approach God. For the Jewish people, it was most common to approach in a standing posture, uh, though bowing was not unheard of or, or never seen. But Eusebius, writing about the history of the early church, says that the most common posture for prayer for the Christians, for the church, was to bend their knees, to bow before God. What does that indicate? What does that say? Well, it is shows submissiveness. It shows adoration. It shows deference. There's a solemnness to it. When we bow our knee before God, that posture shows the posture of our heart in a physical way. There's something good and helpful about our physical posture before God. So he's bending his knees, bowing his knees. He's kneeling before the Lord. And that word before is so important. It's actually a really unique word. It indicates a face-to-face sort of interaction and exchange. You know, we're so good. We have so many opportunities, right, to engage and connect, uh, not face-to-face. We can text, we can uh, email, we can call. Um, if anyone does that anymore, I feel like I love to call. I'm kind of old school that way. And people like seem offended sometimes when I call. They're like, you didn't text me first to tell me that you were calling. I'm like, when was that a thing? But um, I, I still just go for it. I don't care. I leave voicemails too. I just mess with people. Um, but we, we can connect with people far away. Uh, and now uh, certainly through this, This last year, we've gotten really good at Zoom and and meetings and FaceTime and all of that from afar. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about face-to-face. He says before, it's it's indicating a face-to-face interaction. But more than that, it's indicating an intimate face-to-face interaction. See, this is someone who you know and who you're in a relationship with and who you trust The first time you meet someone, um, you can really weird them out by getting super close and in their face, especially right now, right? Um, Everyone's really extra cautious and concerned about that. But but someone who you know, your children, your uh, your spouse, your um, you know your parents, your family, a good friend, like it's not uncommon to be a little bit closer and 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 in a more proximity with each other. Why? Because there's relationship there. What Paul is saying is, I bow my knees before in this face-to-face, seeking the face of God, the Father. See, this is our heavenly Father, the relationship available to us because of what Christ has done. Because of the redemptive work of Jesus, the access now given through the Spirit, we can call God our Father. And this is who Paul is coming before and praying. And so here's the shift that I think we need to make as we prepare to pray is that we need to seek the face of God before the hand of God. Let's be honest, how many times do we come to God with a list of all the things that we want him to do, to act upon, to respond to, failing to 
just be with him and to spend time in worship of him. See, I would submit that we need to move in our prayers from a need-based to a worship-based prayer. Yes, we can ask. Yes, there are requests. Yes, that is part of prayer. But would it begin by seeking after the face of God? When we seek after the person of God, that changes everything. In fact, it shapes and informs and directs our prayers. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, Maybe some of you have heard this story before. It's, a, it's a, um, one that I think preachers love to use. I've never used it, so let me use it for the first time here. Is that uh, there was a little boy who was playing um, and wanted his dad to play with him, um, but his dad had some other ideas or some other things that he was doing, and so he needed to keep the boy occupied for a little while, and so he uh, had a newspaper, and on the newspaper was a picture of the world, a world map, and he's like, this will keep him busy for a while, so he actually rips the paper up into little pieces and kind of makes a little makeshift puzzle for him, and he gives it to him, thinking, man, this young boy is not going to be able to, it's going to take him a while, right? I don't know how, how uh, masterful his geography is, but, it, but dad figured it was at least going to buy him a little bit of time um, as he tried to place all these countries and figure out where everything went. So the boy took the paper, went in the other room, and to uh, his surprise, uh, he came back in, and a few minutes later, and he said, Dad, I'm done. I got the whole, whole map done. And he came in, and sure enough, Dad was like blown away. He's like, I didn't even know you knew where all those countries are. He's like, oh, I, I, didn't, I don't know about any of that. He's like, there was a picture of a man on the back, and I just put the picture of the man together, and then it put the whole world in the right place. Right, do you see where we're going with that? If you understand the person of God, who he is, and his power and his ability and all that he is, if you seek after the face of God, then everything else will fall into place. So many times we come to God with all of our tattered pieces and our, our, our confusion and our misunderstanding of the world. And we're like, God, can you make sense of this? Can you put this together? And what he's saying to us is, listen, seek after me And then I will make sense of all of that. I will sort that out. You see, we need to seek the face of God before we seek the hand of God. This shift alone will change the way that we pray. Let's continue on in um, Paul's prayer here. He says, the father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Again, speaking to the way that God has brought in both Jews and Gentiles alike into his family And they are united together in him, in one accord, one family. But he continues in verse 16, he says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is the second thing that we need to recognize as we uh, seek to prepare to pray is this, is that we need to surrender to the power of God. We seek the face of God, but we surrender to the power of God. Notice the way that Paul says it there. He's praying according to what? According to the riches of his glory, of God's glory. That is the way that we need to pray. According to the riches of God. You know, so many times I think we approach God in our own understanding and we pray according to our understanding of his riches. Let's be clear about what God's word says about the glory of God. The glory of God is seen throughout scripture. You see all these glimpses and pictures and unpacking what God's glory is. Most notably, we see God's glory seen as as Moses is up on the mountain with God and he passes by and allows his glory, just a fraction, just a part of his glory to be seen. And then for days, the face of Moses is is glowing. Like he had to wear a veil because it it changed his physical appearance in such a way. I mean, people were, were kind of freaked out. It says that if anyone sees God in his full glory, they cannot live. It is beyond what we are able to comprehend. And what Paul is doing here is he's praying according to the riches of his glory. You know, so many times I think that we, we approach God as if he has some sort of limited amount of resources at his disposal. I don't know why I thought of this, but imagine that you need a cup of sand. I don't know what you're doing with that sand. Maybe you're going to do some of that cool uh, sand art or, or um, you're going to uh, put it in, I don't know, whatever you're going to do with the sand. You need a cup of sand. And so you approach God and, and you kind of have in your mind this picture that he's going to give you a cup of sand from his, um, from his bucket of sand. 
And you're like, well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually adjust my thinking. Maybe it's more like a sandbox. Like he's got quite a bit of sand and he's going to give me some of that. But then you start to think about all the people that might also want a cup of sand at the same time and, and what they're trying to get from him. And, and is he going to be able to do all of that? Like how far does his resources go? What this verse is reminding us that the power of God is beyond any that we could ask or imagine or think and comprehend. He doesn't just have a bucket. He doesn't just have a sandbox. He has all the beaches and all the, plant, and all the countries and all the world. He has an infinite amount at his disposal. And so listen, when you and I come to him, something that seems so insurmountable to us, listen, you're probably in that spot when you're like, I just need my cup filled though. This is what I need. Let me just remind you that the place from which God fills that cup is according to the riches of his glory. And there is no end to it. There is nothing that is too hard for him. There is nothing that is beyond his ability to do. And so we want to surrender to the power of God. You see, part of that, I think, is to understand as we recognize our own shortcomings and our own inability in that. We tend to read that into God and we look at some of the things that we think he can do. And so then we pray in light of those things. Rather, we need to switch it. Rather than We need to recognize our own shortcomings, but then we need to rely fully upon the power that he has available to him. And I think to do this, listen, church, we need to pray prayers that are led by the Spirit. We've been given the gift of the Spirit he has filled us and he is working through us. Would we ask him to lead us in the way that we pray? Notice again the power by which Paul is praying here. He says that according to the riches of his glory. What's he asking for? That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul is praying that the church would be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit from the inside out, that their entire being would be transformed what an incredible source of power, right? It says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work within you. And so Paul knows that and he's surrendering to the power of God and he's praying according to the power of God. Let me ask you this. How many times do you pray, do we pray prayers that we could define as shallow, right? Where we limit what God is going to do. If I can, I want to pick a little bit and meddle. The first service told me I didn't go too far, so let me, um, let me just do it again, um, and we'll see. Hopefully, I don't get in too much trouble. But sometimes we have certain phrases and things that we say and things that we ask God, and I wonder, do we really, are we really asking, are we really praying and surrender to the power of God, knowing what God is going to do? See, I grew up around church, and so if you did, you probably have heard this phrase too. I think sometimes we like to pray for traveling mercies, all right, now listen, I don't, if, you, if that's you, I don't have your face in mind. I know that's kind of a thing that we say. We pray for traveling mercies. If you didn't grow up in church, you're like, what are traveling mercies? I don't totally know myself, but I think what traveling mercies are is we're praying that we would get from where we're going or where we are to where we want to go and to do so safely. Okay, let me be clear. That's not a bad thing to pray for, all right? Like we wanna pray for safety. We wanna be able to arrive but listen, listen, church, if we're going on some trip and that's the extent of our prayer, like you're like, hey, can I pray for you about your trip or anything? It's like, well, could you just pray for some traveling mercies? I need some of those, you know, those kind of mercies. I need the traveling kind that gets me from, from here to there. And so I would arrive safely. Like, listen, God has so much more at his disposal. And when we pray according to his power, like how about praying that the time that you spend in the car together as a family on the way there, would build and, 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 and increase the relationship together, that you'd have opportunities with your children to be able to pour into them, that you and your spouse would be able to connect, that when you get there, whoever it is that you're visiting, that you would be a blessing to them and you would be able to bring the gospel of Jesus or you'd be able to encourage them in the word, that, that as you travel, you would be reminded of just how vast God is and that he has the power to work and effect in all of these places and all of these things. Like, like there are so many more things that we can be praying about rather than just getting us from here to there. 
Did I meddle too much? Is that too, is that too harsh? So here's the thing. If you ever ask me for traveling mercies, I can't wait to read the prayer request this week because I know how you guys work. As soon as I say something like that, everyone's writing it down. You're going to do it. And you're like, and some of you even now, you're like, oh man, I'm going to, I'll still pray for it. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for that. But I'm going to encourage you lovingly, warmly as I can. Can we think, can we pray according to the riches of his glory as we pray for one another. God can do so much more than we would ask or imagine. Paul's prayer is that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit and their inner being. Would we pray prayers that rely upon things that only God can do? You see, the first point informs the second point. If we are seeking the face of God, Rather than just the hand of God, I think we, our prayers become a whole lot bigger because we want to see God do things that bring him glory, that, that lead to greater worship of him, that stir our hearts and our affection toward him. Would we surrender ourselves to the power of God? Third thing we see, let me give it to you and then I'll show it to you in God's word. Would we do this? Would we trust the promises of God as we pray? Would we enter into prayer with a trust in the promises that God has given? Let's look at verse 17. It says, so that, Paul continues, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the, height and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen, we just uh, went through together this summer talking about, looking at, focusing on the promises of God from his word. These are the things that God says he will always do. He will always do. And when we pray prayers according to the promises of God, trusting in the promises of God, you're praying prayers that you know he will answer. You see, Paul, as he's praying this, he knows that God wants to do this, right? That Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. That as he roots them and grounds them in his love, that they would then have a fuller understanding of God's love for them and that they would then share that same love with others, right? That they would know the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. They would understand just how vast it is, the, the breadth, the height, the length, the depth, all of it, that they would have an understanding of the full knowledge of how much Christ loves them and that God would fill them with all of his fullness that he would richly move inside of them, that he would bring them to a place of, of transformation and of, 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 of sanctification, of holiness, sharing in his righteousness, that all of these things would be at work in him. You see, as Paul's praying, what he's doing is he's trusting in the promises of God. And can we pray in that same manner, that same way? Would we trust the promises of God in the way that you and I pray? Again, we said uh, in the series that God is with us always. There's things that we can do that we can run away from God. We can try and get away from the presence of God, but his presence is never far off. He is always there with us. Sometimes I find myself praying things, asking things that God has already promised he would do. I mean, I've asked, God, would you just be with me in this? I mean, that's fine, but maybe what I need to do is think about what I'm saying and say, God, would you show me? Would you remind me? Would you encourage my heart that you are here with me? Would you strengthen my understanding? Would you help me to see tangibly the way that you are here and working? Like he is with you. Sometimes we pray prayers that he has already promised that he would do. So then pray in a way that helps you to understand and to know that. I think to do this well, we need to have prayers that are fed by the scriptures. Some of you, maybe you've tried already this week to um, increase your prayer, to be intentional in prayer. That's great. I hope it went well. But my guess is some of you uh, found it a struggle. You probably sat to pray. You're like, okay, I'm gonna pray for a little bit longer. I'm gonna pray a little bit more intentionally. I'm gonna try and do this this week. And if you ran into a bit of a wall or you kind of uh, felt like you stumbled just a bit, I'm guessing, my guess would be that you did not use scripture to inform the way that you prayed. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes I think we read God's word, but then we sort of pray separate from what we just read. We need to connect the two. This is something we want to try and grow in together as a church, uh, both corporately, individually, but we want to pray 
prayers that being are fed and, 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 and informed by Scripture. We're going to unpack this in the coming weeks, but some helpful resources. There's this prayer ministry um, that just has some great uh, resources to help us in this way. I think you're going to find it really encouraging. But if we want to pray worship-based prayer, like we're going to pray seeking after the face of God before the hand of God, I think there's some movements that we have to have. Let me just kind of give these to you. Again, we're going to kind of return to this in the coming weeks. But as we read Scripture, we should respond with reverence. We should have response. We should have prayers of request and prayers of readiness. The movement is sort of this upward, this downward, this inward, outward response to Scripture. Let me show you what I mean. Um, this is a guide that I got um, uh, from this ministry. It's just super helpful to have. But, but let's take the Psalm of David, the 23rd Psalm, which is probably familiar to most of us. Um, again, even if you're sort of new to church or haven't spent much time in God's word, you've probably heard Psalm 23. It says this. Let me read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an amazing psalm, but this can inform our prayers. If we begin that first movement, that upward of reverence, we see in this that, that God is the good shepherd, that he is our provider, Jehovah Jireh, that he is the God who grants peace, Jehovah Shalom, that he is our leader, that he restores. There's so many things that we see about who he is, but then the way that we can pray then is in light of those things. So we can say, God, I praise you when I needed, fill in the blank, you were my provider. Think about the things that God has provided. God, I praise you because you led me to blank when I was blank. It says you led me to green pastures, right? You made me, like when has God led you when you were in that? God, I praise you because you give me peace when and pray according to scripture. That's the reverence part. But then would there be an inward response or uh, rather this downward response that, Lord, uh, I surrender my desire to have blank, realizing that you provide all that I need. You can see it right there in there. He restores my soul. He leads me to paths of righteousness. He prepares a table for me, right? I surrender my desire to have this, knowing that you provide all that I need. Lord, because I realize you are the leader, I surrender my self-made plans for even though I will dwell in your house forever, I confess that often I try and find my value in. Again, you look at God's word and you pray according to that. Would there be a response? But then requests. It can inform the request in the way that we pray for ourselves, the way that we pray for others. Lord, I pray that you will shepherd blank as they name the situation. I pray that so-and-so will find satisfaction in you and not in Lord, I'm trusting you to restore. God, I call on your name to lead as I. Lord, I enter this situation. I pray with your divine preparation and anointing. I pray that you will have a firm assurance of your goodness as I. I mean, all of these things are informed by that. You see how it leads us in the way that we are requesting. See, that's what I mean when I say that we need to trust in the promises of God. And one of the ways that we do that is we allow scripture to inform the things that we are praying and then would it move us toward readiness? Even though I walk through the situation, we will fear no evil because you are with us. You are a provision. Even in the presence of our cup overflows. You see, there are so many ways that we can pray the scriptures. Again, we're gonna to return to this in the weeks to come, but I just wanted to give you a bit of a preview of one of the ways that you can allow scripture to inform your prayers as we trust in the promises that God has given. Let's look at the last part and see what he says here. Uh, verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. 
Listen, as we prepare to pray, we need to remember the purposes of God. The main purpose, the primary purpose, the thing that God is most consumed with, do you know it? Do you know what it is? It's his glory. He's the only one who's worthy of all glory. He's the only one who's deserving of all the glory that could be given to him. And his primary purpose is that he would receive glory in all things. And so listen, I can't tell you exactly all of the parts and all the ways that God is using the situation or the thing that you're walking through, whatever it is that you face, but I do know this. I do know that he is going to use it for his glory. Why? Because that is his primary purpose in all things. That's so informative and so helpful for us, even as we pray. That's why we wanna seek the face of God before the hand of God. Because as we understand that, that we would see that he's going to receive glory in the way that we pray. That is he actually shaping and transforming and changing us in our prayer. So it's not just about coming this list and trying to get all these things from God, but even in praying that we would be giving him worship. We would be responding to him. This is what the relationship that we have with our God looks like, that we would give him the glory that he is due. That's why Paul says, now to him who is able to do far more, right, far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ. The purpose of God is for his glory. And this church is why we want to pray. Here's one of my hopes for us as a church in in all this, is that we would recognize and realize the purposes of God for his glory. And I think this, if we understand this one truth, this continual coming back to God's glory. I mean, that's even what our mission is. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We wanna see God glorified in all places, in all ways, in all things, with as much glory as he can possibly receive. If we see that present in our prayers, that as we pray, we are seeking to give him and show him glory, it transforms everything that we are. Listen, the power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us. As we respond to that, it changes and transforms us. My hope for us is this, is that we wouldn't be just a church that prays, but that we would be a praying church. You see, a praying church is one that is devoted to prayer. A praying church is one that doesn't just see prayer as the thing you do before ministry, but sees prayer as the ministry of the church. And I think it's far too easy for us to kind of have prayer on the peripheral, have it on the fringe, have it on sort of a part or tacked on to whatever we're doing, not as the main thing that we are doing. Listen, if we're gonna give God the glory that he is due, then we need to have prayer as central to the ministry that we are engaged and that we are doing together. And so this is what we wanna grow in and and develop and, and, and really lean into right now in this season as a church. My prayer, my hope is for us is that this year, that this would like, this would set the trajectory of our year. That this year ahead would be one of um, prayer in such a new way that as we enter into the fall, no matter what comes, like, right, we don't know what's coming next. We have some hopes of what doesn't come. We have some hopes of what does, but we have no idea. But would it be this? Would we be marked by prayer? Would people say, oh, City on a Hill, that's a church that is devoted to prayer. That's a praying church. They pray. That church knows how to pray. See, one of the ways that we want to do this is we want to put some resources for us together as a church. I'm going to put a website up on the um, screen for you. Cityonahill.co slash pray has some tools, we're gonna continue to add through that through this series, but one of the things that you're gonna see on there is we are gonna do a week of prayer at the end of August. So August 30th, Monday through Friday, September 3rd, we are gonna do an entire week where we are gonna pray together as a church. How we're gonna do it is we've divided the week up into our slots, so there's 75 slots, starting from sunup to sundown, Monday through Friday, we wanna pray as a church. You don't have to come here to the church to pray, you can pray on your own, but we wanna collectively join together that week in prayer. So already, could you be thinking about what, could you take an hour, could you take two hours? What would that look like for you? For sure, we can fill 75 slots if all of us are in there. We have a lot more than that in the church, okay? So we shouldn't have a problem filling it. 
And I know some of you, you have limited space. So if you're available during the day, if you can take 2 a.m., uh, not 2 a.m., um, if you can take 2 p.m. or 3 p.m., um, you know, that might be a trickier time for some. And so those night slots, those early slots, those, um, you know, if, you're, if you have av- availability during the day, take it. But maybe you want to take your lunch hour and you want to pray or you want to get up early and you want to pray or you want to stay up late. Listen, if you go to sign up and there's like a slot that you really want and it's not available, you can still pray, okay? <laughs> it's not, not just that one person or something. Like that. We're trying to spread it out, though. Let us know. We can open up more slots. My hope is that we'll get to the place that we could do this for an entire week, seven days, 24 hours, and fill every hour of the day round the clock for a week. I would love to do that together as a church, but let's start here. I think this is doable for us, Monday through Friday, sunup to sundowns, praying as we enter into the fall. We're gonna seek after the Lord for a number of things. We're gonna pray for our, the things that God's doing in us, praying for our own souls, praying that God would be transforming and growing us. We're gonna pray for our church body. We're gonna pray for our community. We're gonna pray for the things of God. We're gonna send out resources and guides, all of that. If you're nervous or anxious about praying for an hour, that's a good thing. It's okay. We're gonna help you. You're gonna find that it's gonna be a lot easier than you think if you've never done that before. We wanna engage in this together, but we wanna be a praying church. So let's do that now. Why don't we take some time and just pray here in our service, just in the quietness of where we're at. I'm going to invite Scott and Margaret to come up, and they're going to lead us here in a song as we close our service. But let's do this. Why don't we quiet our hearts before the Lord, and why don't we pray according to these things? Is there some things maybe in your heart right now you need to just seek the face of God? You've been seeking the hand of God, but maybe you need to seek the face of God, that he would be near to you. Is there some things maybe you need to surrender to the power of God, trusting that he has the power to move? Maybe you need to trust more in the promises of God, remembering what he has said would come to pass. Would you declare that to him? And would we remember the purpose of God? Would you pray according to the purposes of God as he's laid out? I'm just gonna pray for us and then we'll give you a few minutes. Why don't you just pray there in your seat or there in the room, wherever you're at joining us from? And would we just quiet our hearts before the Lord and would we call out to him now? And then we're gonna respond and close our service in song. Let's uh, go to the Lord now in prayer. God, we thank you for the gift that prayer is to the church. And Lord, I confess and acknowledge that I often, God, I fail to recognize what a gift it is. Lord, this isn't something that is a burden. This isn't something that's on our checklist. God, this is, this is you calling us, inviting us into relationship, God, inviting us to tap into your power, God, and your strength and your might in the ways and things that we are not able to. And so, God, we want to respond to you in that way. We acknowledge our shortcoming, God, but we acknowledge that you have no end to your power, to your might. So God, together as we pray now, as we respond to you now, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would ignite in us a passion for you, a desire to see your face more clearly, God, to respond to your glory more fully. God, we want to respond to you now, we pray.